And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I am Chris Thomas. And I'm Ryan Oliver. And how are you doing, Ryan? I'm good. I'm ready to kick off the second part of our uh, our Kaiju Smackdown, uh, our, our second part uh, on our road to Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah, uh, excited for it. And of course, uh, I, I had the picks last week for Godzilla. So then, of course, you picked this week. So uh, you want to go ahead and just uh, kick us off here with uh, what you chose? I can, yeah. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. We're actually going to go, um, we've kind of settled into a structure where we start with good and then go into the bad and then the what. Um, but because we did our Godzilla, it worked out last week in which our Godzilla movies were in chronological order. Um, and this week, they're the reverse chronological order. So we're going to start with our what, go into our bad, and then cap it off with our good. Um, but yeah, I'll go ahead and introduce the picks here. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the King Kong series for the what I've chosen King Kong Escapes from 1967, directed by Ishiro Honda. For the bad, I've chosen King Kong Lives from 1986, directed by John Gillerman. Uh, both King Kong Lives and both King Kong Escapes are really what's and we'll get into why yes (laughs) um but uh you know but but one is a little bit more kind of conventionally bad so that's where it fit into uh and then finally we're going to close with our good pick which is the 2005 iteration of king kong directed by peter jackson um so part of the i guess the overall narrative to talk about um with king kong is how I so I did the research I, I had seen a few King Kong movies prior to this endeavor of course I'd seen the 1933 original um which is which is just a masterwork of mm-hmm. stop motion creature feature you know it's iconic um it's great I'd seen the 1976 one as well as the 2005 Peter Jackson one which we'll get into and then Kong Skull Island uh, which we'll probably talk a little bit more in depth when we actually talk Godzilla versus Kong given that that fits into that movie Um, but I did the research into these movies and like the one thing I really realized different from Godzilla is how limiting the King Kong series is um you know I I noticed through there's there's inherently less movies there's probably like a third or a quarter as many King Kong movies as there are Godzilla movies and just like you know the 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 creature who gets taken back to the states and you know is an empathetic creature that ultimately has a downfall there's not really a lot more you can do with it Uh, and and we're going to kind of get into that here yeah i think i mean the the approaches are completely different and uh when you're talking about godzilla and really any of those kaiju movies it's a chaotic force uh there's really not much character to godzilla at least in the first one he's more of a you know he's a representation of uh, of a concept more than th- there's any sort of arc or anything to him he's just destruction 
And so then that series of movies is, you know, okay, what about another monster that they can fight or another monster is causing destruction and they need to stop the destruction. It, it's more or less, uh, it's about the spectacle. It's about the uh, danger and the scares and the thrills. Whereas, like you said, there is actual characterization to Kong. Kong more or less has an arc. Um, and because of him being in the movie, the characters around him have an arc where he starts off as being um, a scary creature, much like Godzilla, but then the audience quickly begins to empathize with him. He is a, um, you know, a misunderstood beast um, that is reflective of the human characters in the story. And so then one, by the time you complete that arc, Godzilla and Kong aren't really interchangeable. And, and I think we're going to talk about that more when we get to um, the, the, the what here of King Kong uh, escapes, because that's exactly what they tried to do and it falls flat on his face. Yes, in, in, a, in an entertaining way, but yes, definitely yes. falls flat <laughs> on his face. And, and I think that's, the, you know, just we'll go, kind of go through the years here. And I think you kind of laid that out perfectly because he is, and, and it's it, even though as entertaining as the original King Kong is, like it's a tragedy. Like the King Kong mm -hmm. story is tragedy. It's a misunderstood monster. It's really a Frankenstein tale too. If you like, yes. you know, as far as in structure, it's very, very similar to Frankenstein's monster and so it elicits a lot of empathy and then of course it's a tragedy and as evident by the fact that these movies they tend to make a sequel to them for whatever reason and yeah. then they end up going back to the drawing board so quick quick catch up to speed to getting into king kong escapes um because we should get into it mm -hmm. uh king kong came out in 1933, was a massive success. They fast-tracked immediately a sequel, which was 1933's Son of Kong, came out the very same year. Um, I chose not to talk about it, it granularly for this episode because it's barely over 60 minutes long and it's not even a movie, really. <laughs> like, there's some, again, with the time, there's some great artistry to the, the puppetry and the stop motion, of course, but there's nothing really to that movie. Um, so we decided to skip it entirely. Fast forward, 30 years RKO licenses the rights to King Kong to Toho Pictures who did the Godzilla franchise and then the first one they did was 1962's King Kong versus Godzilla which at the time of this recording unfortunately neither of us have seen uh, but we will catch up with it before we talk about Godzilla versus Kong squaring off this year uh, yeah, and then more relevant for next week's episode exactly and so then that leads us to Toho still have the rights so they made 1967's King Kong Escapes which who boy. So this yeah. movie, um, I'll ask you first impressions, Chris, and I know you kind of laid it out perfectly. Um, so I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but you know, you mentioned basically that, that because it's a Toho production, it is also directed by Ishiro Honda, who did the original Godzilla and many of the show era Godzilla movies. We've seen what he can do at his peak. You know, he's very good at these type of monster movies why is this one so strange when you have like a very like deft filmmaker in terms of these like giant monster movies and can make them successful? I mean, it's really strange because I mean, I mean, like you said, we know that Ishiro Honda can make these movies great and enjoyable. And I think, I, I don't know if there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes King Kong a character or, or what, but there, there are a few moments throughout the movie that you can see he's more or less trying to remake um, or, or reiterate things that happened in the first movie. Um, there, there's the portion, I mean, of course, he's carrying the girl around who's a terrible Barbie doll puppet. 
um and he fights like a t-rex at one point and he mirrors or like repeats the same motion that happens in the 1933 king kong where he takes the jaw and he like forces it open Mm -hmm. and it like uh and then he sort of like bats the head around in a playful style but it's not done it's not done in a playful style like an animal who's confused and sort of is trying to check on the thing it's just not quite hitting it and it and it looks like a godzilla movie it feels like a godzilla movie and because that characterization isn't there it has like this really strange disconnect and in the way it's structured is structured with you know the human elements like we talked about last week the human element the monster element and then they at, at times will coincide or you know coexist the thing that's sort of batshit about this one is that the, the story from the the human element side is so weird and out there and unnecessary in in many different aspects that like not only are you mishandling King Kong, but you're mishandling King Kong and putting him into a story scenario and story structure that makes no goddamn sense. Yeah, I think that's definitely worth pointing out because that's one thing we talked about last week too about how the human element of these movies genuinely fall short. Um, you know, it really is how how it's integrated more thematically and then how like the fights end up being. Yeah. Um, but this one is a little bit notable because even for these movies, let's like even grading on the curve of a Toho monster product, Kaiju production, like the plot of this movie is, is completely absurd. Uh, I guess to lay it out succinctly, there's, there's a company who's mining, who's, it's like a salt mine for a, a it's like substance X, I think is yeah. the name of it. Substance like something X like or, that. Or element X, I think. Element X. And so to efficiently mine it, they they have designed it, it's a mechanic kong i think it's not mecha kong i think it's mechanic kong is the name um uh, we should also point out this was a co-production between toho and rankin bass uh you know most notably did like rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and frosty the mm-hmm. snowman and those uh you know cr- beloved christmas classics and so i think like the mechanic kong as silly as some of it is which we'll get into like it looks pretty good for like you know it, it that creature delivers on the aspect that you would expect from these movies in terms of design in terms of functionality uh but so they design this creature to mine this substance and it malfunctions and it can't actually <laughs> do it in the like sub-zero temperatures so well, they go do we know do we know why they made a mechanicon because i mean it's it's for mining and when they show like it, it, it off to do like the first portion of the movie it like walks over to a crevice and very slowly is just pulling grenades off of a belt and dump, and like dumping them down a hole and causing like these puny explosions until it blows the ground out from underneath its feet which i've i've cracked up laughing because it was like this is this is how much money and time and stuff did you spend on making a giant mechanical ape and then it just like blows the ground up beneath his feet, rawr, and, like falls down this, this crevice. And they're talking about like, oh, look at its power and look at uh, how impressive it is. And I, I don't know if I missed something, but why did they design it after King Kong? I think it was because they could control it. And I'm wondering, but here's the other thing too. Again, we didn't see King Kong versus Godzilla. I don't know if there's any lead in oh, to this. Sure. I have no idea. I genuinely don't know. Um, but I think it was more that they can control it because King Kong is a, a creature of his own will. And so they're like, well, if we create a robot version, then we can do whatever we want with it. But then the thing doesn't work. So then they decide to go kidnap the actual King Kong. 
Um, and then, you know, you already kind of pointed out it, more or less from there structurally, other than this insane salt mine sub you know, plot or, or not even subplot, the main driving force of the movie, the, the structure more or less mirrors that of the original. They go to, I think it's called Mondo Island in this movie. It's not even called Skull no. Island. Yeah, it's called Mondo Island. Island. And we're first introduced to King Kong. For, first of all, we got to talk about the design on King Kong in this movie because it, <laughs> yes, so, it's terrible. Like it's, it's, it's awful. I, it, I cannot believe you know it, it's kind of like you know we joked a lot about like manila last week or, yeah. or maybe we didn't get as much as we wanted to of like how that creature got signed off but it's like similar it, it's similar here where it's like the shot when we're first introduced to him it's supposed to be like reveal reveal moment yeah. and then it's like the the light like slowly slivers in and it's like he's like cross-eyed almost yeah like it's, he's got like a, a derpy eye <laughs> Well, I didn't. I didn't know direction. what we were looking at when they like for because it's 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 like a, a zoom in like a tight tight zoom on his paper mache face that it looks terrible mm-hmm. and the the little eyes like the flutter eyes of like him waking up underneath like a cliff or something and they're opening at like different rates and he's just got like these glassy terrible looking eyes and I didn't know what the hell was going on until they backed out and revealed that there was a, a whole you know monkey there. It's like, what a terrible choice for a reveal. Yeah. It's like you go in for a tight shot. We don't know the size of this thing or where it's at spatially. And so it's, it's a, it's a, you already kind of bungle, you bungle the reveal of the character and then you have a, um, and then, you know, you, you kind of laid it out too, where it's like Kong has more like humanistic qualities than, than Godzilla. Um, right. You know, I mean, given that it's like, he's, he's a primate. So, I mean, that makes sense, but it's like, you need some articulation in in the, mm-hmm. the eye. It doesn't have to be like perfect by any stretch. I mean, obviously you're limited to the technology at the time, but you have to elicit some kind of empathy for that character. And then it's right. just like, yeah, it's just like a like a well, really more characterization in the face uh, that they used in the 1933 King Kong. Like that yeah. one looked more realistic and much better than what we have here. Yeah, so it's really goofy, and then and that's another like weird issue to this movie too where it's like you know like like we've said we like we know Ashura Honda can pull this type of stuff off like the creature designs largely are successful in the Godzilla movies they're largely really cool and it's like even here it's like okay King Kong looks silly but you're like okay and but Mechanic Kong looks okay well what about mm-hmm. these other creatures they're gonna fight they're gonna look cool no not no. really like the no. T-Rex that he fights <laughs> like the T-Rex which does like a jump kick at <laughs> Like six times in a row yeah like, you got to change up your strategy Kong. it's, it's just one move he's just like okay and then just gets kicked in the <laughs> chest it's like, it's like a down rex. b move in mortal combat just like just keep going for the ankle he's just, yeah he's doing the uppercut move <laughs> just like jump uppercut jump uppercut oh my god so so there's that and then again the technical qualities i think are what kind of make this movie it's charming in that Toho way, but it is a little baffling that even in this realm, how bad some of the technical qualities are. Like you already mentioned this uh, about the doll. So like, you know, we, we know we, the, the, the trope of the King Kong movies, of course, is like the, the, the female character and uh, you know, that and that's something you've never had to do in a Godzilla movie. Godzilla doesn't pick up humans. Godzilla doesn't no, do anything of that. No, but they're like a staple of King Kong is 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 holding the uh, and it's always been like forced perspective using a doll. But mm-hmm. like even in 1933, it's like the doll 
at least kind of looks like Fay Ray, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and then fast forward to the 1976 one, like it kind of looks like Jessica Lang. Um, but this well, one it's, here, it's like they pick it up, like so they do like the the rear projection and and the compositing, which looks pretty chunky, but like that's okay, yeah. whatever. Like that's kind of be expected. I'm okay with that. But then right. they cut to the shot, they cut to the wide shot and he picks up the doll and it looks like a raggedy Ann doll like yeah it, it looks like not even remotely like our our main actress in this movie like it doesn't even it doesn't well even and it's close. way it's the this like spatially the size of things i don't want to jump too far ahead but like i i think comparatively we're talking about like when he's picking up the the main character in this movie i think in in the older kongs and other kongs that i've seen when they pick up the doll the doll is more or less the size of the actor's hand. And mm-hmm. so then like you get a glimpse of a top of a head, you maybe see some feet poking out of the bottom, but you don't like, because there's so little of it showing, it's a bit more believable because you're like, well, you know, they're not going to be in motion because they're completely encased in this thing's fist. Whereas in this movie, the doll is more or less a full size, like, like Barbie doll. Like there's head yeah. and shoulders poking out and like, like all, most of the leg poking out of the bottom. So because it's so stiff, and not like moving with the the actor that moves is so much like you know very clear that it is a doll but then just for spatial consistency we when we cut to the end of the movie and they're on the they're on the ship trying to flee and the soldiers are like shooting kong and Mm -hmm. he wades out into the water he jumps up on the ship and like pulls like the the uh, uh, the motor out of the bottom of it and he's like smashing the ship apart and like people are flying and stuff the people that are on that boat are so much smaller than his hand like either yeah. the the actress that he's been carrying carting around this whole time is 12 feet tall like they didn't there's there's no consistency whatsoever he changes shape and size throughout the movie to fit whatever they happen to be doing on screen and it's it's upsetting, really. I, I was like, <laughs> I, I was having a real rough time there at the end and being like, he just grew for some yeah. reason. He just grows and shrinks. No matter, it doesn't matter what the, whatever the movie needs it to do. Yeah, whatever do whatever size he needs to be for the set piece, that's that's the size he is. Right, which leads me to believe again, like what what was the point of making it? Like, it was we were like, we still have the rights, so we're gonna make another King Kong. Like, it just seemed like nobody cared no <laughs> this one no yeah all, all it takes is a script supervisor to be like okay well this is the size of a human in comparison to where so that's how we need to build our sets from now on but like it was very clearly oh we need a doll just grab one from the nearest store on your way to set that day and then we'll just make up the rest of it as we go along yeah or i mean even to the other thing that you know from like a te- if we're talking like technical gaps to this happens so much and i feel like i if if it happened in the other like Toho productions, then they they did a really good job of obscuring it. But this movie, like, there's a little like hovercraft, and then there's like the helicopters uh, mm-hmm. that are like going to Mondo Island, um, and like you can clearly see the string of them. Like, there's mm-hmm. no really attempt to like hide the string in this movie. It's just like just going by on a string. Uh, Kong's like picking up palm trees and throwing them at the helicopters, which that's yeah. kind of rad. I was like, I was like, oh, so that's where jo- Jordan Folk Roberts got that for the opening of Kong Skull Island, <laughs> where he's like fucking up all the helicopters. It was like, you got that from King Kong Escapes, didn't you? <laughs> well, and like the 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 suit itself, like I know we mentioned that the face is really bad and there's no real articulation there and stuff, but like. Yeah the the zipper on the back of the suit is clearly visible for yeah. like much of the movie 
And when they're doing wide shots because he needs to have extra long gorilla arms, mm-hmm. it's very obviously like like padding with like a with like a dishwasher glove on the end of it to sort of ex- like artificially extend the actor's arms. But like they'll he'll still like pick his arms up. So then like what should be the monkey's forearm is like pew, like drooping <laughs> and like hanging down. <laughs> like they didn't put anything in, like a rod or anything in there to keep it like consistently stiff like a you know an arm should be so he's just like flopping around these sort of like dead weights at the end of his elbows and it's it it, like there's no care or love given to the character and i think i think even in the godzilla movies they like there's so much charm and stuff put into the miniature sets and and put it into these things that like a lot of it is forgivable and i know that you mentioned the string and there's definitely a lot of Toho movies with like Ghidorah and yeah. Rodan where you can you can see the string hanging yeah. there as well. But it's like a bit more forgivable. And I think it stands out so much in this one because everything is given that sort of lackluster care. Uh, yeah. It's not just for this one element, we have to have a flying bird. And so, you know, we have to forgive that there's a string there. It's everything in this movie is the equivalent of a visible string. For sure. And I think that also goes into like the immersion, because usually at the point in a Godzilla movie when he's fighting Rodan or King Ghidorah, um, you're you're invested in that moment. And so you're sure. like, or they cut away quick enough where it's like he's flying by, okay, now we cut to Godzilla in the city. Like like they're there's they they are smart in obscuring it. And this one, they're just like, Okay, yeah, no, it's a little hovercraft going and we're yeah. gonna hold on the well, shot script says for way too long. Yeah, it's so strange. And you know, I know we kind of laid this out up front too, that like this and King Kong lives, which we're going to swing into are, are very like kind of interchangeable in terms of bad or what, because they're both, they're both pretty for different reasons, bad movies, but for what reasons? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think what ultimately we come down on this one is a what, and you, you really got to the heart of it. It's like, structurally, this is a Godzilla movie. It looks like a Godzilla movie. It walks, it talks like a Godzilla movie, but because it's King Kong, it, a it doesn't work and b it just doesn't seem like any they they did it because they had to for whatever right. you know they just had to do it where it just doesn't yeah. feel like you this know feels like, like a movie made at gunpoint <laughs> it does feel like it's made like, at gunpoint there's no passion in it and, it, and no. it's very much like the we need to hit these story beats mm-hmm. these are the elements that we know work from godzilla movies so fuck it we'll just toss kong in there and it'll work too and then it doesn't because that was literally as much thought as they put into it for and sure i think before we go on to, to talking about the, the rest of them, I want to continue talking about the plot of this movie because it starts insane with, we built a robot and then the robot got too close to radiation and the circuits got fried. So let's go kidnap the real King Kong, which they do. And then they somehow have a, um, a, a hypnotist, like a, a hypnotism device, which is just a bit shitty like disco ball that they hang outside of his cage and it like puts him in a trance. And then in another example of the spatially in size wise, nothing matching or being consistent, they show some guys like in a cherry picker go up and like hook these things into his ears and his ears are, are taller than the men are. So it's just like, okay, so his ears are like twice as large as his hands because we know how big his hands are comparative to the woman that he picked up earlier. So it's just another gripe that I hate, but they get the things on him. And then the guy is like, he will listen to all my commands, which is like, I don't, King Kong in this movie understands English, I guess, because they don't, they don't make any attempt to say that he's being translated or anything like that. And the, the, the woman uh, will like do basic things like Kong down and will like point or do like small hand gestures and stuff to articulate. 
And then this guy, like they put a patch thing on his ear and he goes, I want you to go outside to a strip mine and then you need to dig down and uh, get through the element X and then bring that all back to me. And he's like, yep, cool. And he just like heads out and goes down the cave and like go beelines right for it. And it's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> How did Kong get like super like, oh no, yeah, I told you know, the strip mine, huh? This that way? Okay, yeah, I'm going to stop by a coffee room uh, on my way down there and he will pick me up. It's just like he became a human for the script sake. Like he needed to understand what they needed him to do. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think he understands English to a certain extent. I mean, I think we see that throughout the movies or at least understands gestures. I mean, and we'll, we'll get into that, especially with the 2005 version yeah. as well. Um, but like, I, I think, the, yeah, in terms of specific, like, <laughs> but that level of specificity probably right. would not know so it's like okay yeah, i'll go down to the salt mine here <laughs> yeah he just gave him like hand directions like well about two kilometers that way there's a salt mine so you're going to want to jump down there and then there's a hole that's going to be on your right so you go down a tunnel that's on your right and it's just like you're not going to be able to have that intense of a conversation with a giant ape who doesn't speak english and then he's like just because he's under a hypnotism trance doesn't mean he understands your language like if a hypnotist got to me and this spoke to me in greek I would have no idea what the hell they're trying to tell me. Like, that's not how hypnotism works. But <laughs> in this movie, needed it to happen. So, yeah, there you go. So then there's so then there's the uh, the titular escape, which again <laughs> is is a just straight up lifted from the the Toho like kaiju movies. Yeah, but it just doesn't make sense with a monkey. He just no. swims away off into the distance. Like they end every Godzilla movie. Like they end you know Mothra swimming out and in, in, like into the sunset. Where the hell is King Kong going? He's not amphibious. He's not like he's 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 got a great backstroke, man. He's swimming back to Mondo Island. Um, (laughs) I mean, I will say too, like you know, because I mentioned this last week with Godzilla about like the charm. It's like there is still some of that, especially in the third, the finale, which really you know, like we said, kind of mimics. They climb up the Tokyo Tower instead of Mm -hmm. the Empire State Building, but. Um, you know, there's that whole element you're talking about, even though the force perspective of them smash him smashing the boats doesn't make a whole lot of sense no. in terms from a perspective standpoint, but like the miniatures and all that stuff, like all that stuff is still fun. It's still, you know, it, it kind of delivers, but it's just, it's just weird. There's just something off about it because because it's king kong and not godzilla you're like wait well and the attitudes of the people of tokyo sort of shift into rooting for king kong like they would godzilla but they have no reason to to do that like so like king kong has a bit where he goes toe-to-toe with uh mckenna kong and Mm -hmm. he like knocks off a thing on top of his head which i guess is like his like in his inhibition center or whatever because then they can't control it and he goes on a rage and then it's up to, to king kong to stop him although Kong has no no motivation to to do that or be that for these people. But like you said, they they climb the tower and there's sort of a, a, a fight where there's like some kicks going on or whatever. Top of the tower gives Mecha uh, Mechana Kong falls to the street below, bursts into pieces. He's more or less defeated. And then like we cut to the people on the ground and they're like, oh, it's all over. And it's just like, do you forget about the fucking monkey that's still like hanging off of this thing and has like killed a ton of people and destroyed a but like it's not over but like the scene ends and they give no explanation as to like does kong just climb down and take off and why does he like not destroy shit did the military have anything to do with it nope we just cut to the next scene where he's going out into the ocean to stop their their fleeing boat and everyone is like on a boat like going after kong being like yeah get him like and it's like you have no reason to be friends with this monkey none whatsoever (laughs) 
it's uh it's upsetting it's, it, <laughs> you, you sound upset you genuinely sound upset i was upset, upset. George is getting upset. I, uh, I, I, this was me i was like saying this stuff out loud into the tv and like why is why why were we here George is getting upset. and i mean honestly you could say the same thing about lives but i feel like there's more questions in this movie as to what and why things are happening i was versus, quieter for lives just because of stunned shock yeah what i was seeing i think that's a good good way to pivot to that so king kong escapes it's it's out there it's on i think it's only on physical discs unfortunately Mm -hmm. at the moment it's not streaming it's on dvd and blu-ray but um but it is out there it's easily gettable uh what's not easily gettable because we both had to order vhs tapes to watch king kong lives the infamous king kong lives um so a little bit of context for this one for those unfamiliar uh, the 1976 King Kong, uh, directed by the same director, John John Gillerman, produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Um, something that had been, I think, in the works for a while. And I think there's some sort of like almost incestuous coming back around sort of thing, because I know we talked about Godzilla and we talked about like, I mean, it, it being Jaws-like, but probably more Jaws took that from Godzilla, obviously because right. of the dates. Um but I'm wondering with King Kong 1976 came out a year after Jaws 1975. I'm wondering if the success of Jaws kind of enforced, okay, maybe it's time to bring back King Kong. Um, so the King Kong 1976 comes out. Uh, it's a massive, massive financial success. Um, it was mixed reviewed. It wasn't like the best uh, movie. I know you haven't got a chance to see it. I, I told you you didn't even have to watch it for King Kong Lives because it recaps the movie in the first I five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to watch a shitty remake of a great movie. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the only thing really <laughs> worth noting is the the like puppetry, uh, like the animatronics and, uh, mm-hmm. in it, uh, which are reused here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're well done, and but how they use it is fascinating and we'll get into that um and jessica lang uh that was her like debut role uh in that movie um but it was a little different than the original as opposed to the kink the peter jackson version which is more or less a really straight steroidal remake of the original uh which we're going to get into the the 76 one has some differences but it still ends the same mm-hmm. um so King Kong lives. I mean, we have we really have to start with the plot of this movie because this one is equally, maybe even more bananas than King Kong Escapes. Uh, yeah. because King Kong 76 again ends with him falling off the Empire. Or I think it's the Twin Towers, actually, in yeah, the, the 70, in 76 one. Yeah, it is the World Trade Center mm-hmm. instead of the Empire State Building. And um, so he falls to his death, death in air quotes. Um yeah. Because in King Kong Lives, because uh, and this is a long spoiler game sequel. alert. Spoiler yeah. alert: He lives um, so, for a little while, anyway. Uh, so, god damn it! So he, this movie is a long gap sequel. Came out ten years after. Uh, Dino De Laurentiis wanted to make a sequel for so long. For God, I would say for God knows why, but because money, I'm sure, because the original was such a massive success. Um, and so this movie, King Kong, has been on life support for a decade in a university in Georgia. And uh, they are trying to find him a heart <laughs> to transplant. Right. And a so and then a and then a poacher is on Skull Island uh, and finds uh, a female, uh, female ape the size of King Kong. 
and uh he offers it to the university and they're like well we 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 this is our only shot this is our only shot to have this happen and uh the, the main scientist uh played by linda hamilton like warns that oh this is a bad idea like we we don't know we we're still doing research and he's like you know he's he's basically a headhunter the uh the guy um the poacher because he's just like i got harvard on the phone too like they'll mm -hmm. if they the, for whatever price and so they pay it they get the female king kong though it's it's i'm trying to recall it's more of a blood transplant because they give Kong it's a blood this, transfusion they, they have give, like a mechanical heart right yeah they give him a literal literal mechanical yeah <laughs> giant mechanical heart like a robot heart that they have like a briefcase that has controls to it so they can like <laughs> remotely activate or do things to like help his heart like what i was going to say about this is like what king kong escapes does in like totally misunderstanding what king kong is and what makes him like a compelling character and running the other direction with it to make a kaiju movie this movie takes that you know un misunderstood beast uh element and runs the opposite direction and tries to make like a deep character study into like the humanization of making king kong like king kong is more rounded and fleshed out than the human characters in the movie and that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing but like the way that it's presented in is in a very very human manner like the 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 motivations of the people are very straightforward they're very much like the poacher is like hey i want to sell this female uh, monkey that i found uh so just give me cash and then they're like well we and i don't even really know why they want to keep king kong alive like why he's been comatose on life support for this whole time because when they when they revive him and he's alive pretty much immediately everyone's like all right we gotta kill this fucking thing it's just like why did you spend millions of dollars keeping yeah, this thing on life it doesn't support, make any and sense now you just want to gun it down yeah well, it's because it, well, they well, it's it's that typical like that's always the push pull of these movies. It's like it, it's the same in like any of the like late, especially like the Americanized Godzilla versions, where it's like you have the scientists who have this like uh, respect and want right. to do the research, and then you have the military intervening because they're like, no, they're a threat. And so, I mean, that's more or less what happens in this movie, where it's like they King Kong comes back to life. And immediately starts fucking shit up like almost yeah. like like no he's fine it's like it, it's like the scene in like an action movie where someone gets better and they're like pulling the ivs out of them and then they yeah. get like more or less that's what king kong does in this movie and he starts yeah. fucking shit up and him and the female ape escape and, and like they, he just went under he underwent like an experimental heart transplant a full blood transfusion he's been comatose for 10 ish years yeah. and you're right he he wakes up and there appears to be some sort of like telepathic communication between Linda Hamilton and King Kong in this movie. Yeah, that's they, a weird element. They don't really explore it, but like he like and not only not not only her, like the King Kong wakes up. He, he has just woken up after being in a coma and undergoing heart surgery and everything. And it's Linda Hamilton and some other, you know, lab coat man. I don't know what his job is, but they're hanging out in the control room next to it. King Kong wakes up and starts smelling the air. And the the first line out of Lab Coat Man's mouth is, "You horny son of a bitch." Yeah, he can he can smell the female, and it's like, how in the fuck do you know that, bud? Like, you like just woke up and like just sort of the mannerisms of this monkey told you, like, oh, he knows that there's another giant female monkey somewhere that he wants to bang. And it's just, okay, like, did you what what school did you go to that taught you like the mannerisms of giant monkeys and how to tell when they're horny? Or just apes in general. I don't know. It could be like the mating 
call. But then, uh, but then at he's that literally point, just sniffing the air, and like he just woke up from a coma. And he's going, and he goes, "Oh yeah, he wants to." Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I basically wrote more or less wrote that on my letterbox that the, the this honestly this movie should have just been honest and called itself King Kong fucks because that's basically more or less what happens in the movie because we watch them we watch like i like the the movie is almost a parody at some point to the point where i almost expected the apes to have subtitles because like we watch them interact with each other through like sign language and like physical mannerisms and it's okay like we understand what they're doing but it's just like i i halfway expected like there to be <laughs> subtitles that pop up on the screen we to show what they're know. thinking. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. thinking of the Star Wars holiday special because there are definitely oh, yeah. times where they're supposed to be communicating through mannerisms, but we don't quite pick up on what they're conveying. But as an audience, we're just like, why are we watching two animals like grunt at each other in, in just like shot reverse shot? It's really strange. It's so strange. And then, and then, but that point, more or less, the structure is also similar to any other King Kong movie. It's like they go back to the island. I don't know why they went back to the, like, like, the, you know, that's the number one place they're going to be looking for y'all. Like, yeah. <laughs> you could have gone anywhere else. Um, and then they're, you know, and then they're in captivity. King Kong fucks up a bunch of military stuff and then he escapes captivity and then it becomes almost like uh, it becomes, it becomes like, the fugitive. Well, it becomes the fugitive. I was going to say more like 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 uh, like Night Beast or the Galaxy Invader like, because there's a scene with those rednecks oh yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're like, all out it was like, like drinking. Dawn of the Dead or like Jaws where they're like loading up their boats and stuff. Yeah. But like, but it's bad. So it's more like a Don Dolan movie where they're yeah. like, they're all like, well, we got to go hunt the thing, chug the beer and go do it. Well, and just like the lines to the military guy, which is like, hey, are those guns loaded? He's like, yeah, they're loaded. And so are we. The military would be putting a stop to this. You're not going to let a bunch of hammered civilians take off with loaded guns. And more or less, that's what they do. Oh God, I know we're like burning through this, but like it's one of those two. It's like, it's like, I hate to use this as a crutch because we kind of did this final wars where it's like, this is the one movie where it's like, you just, you really have to experience how nonsensical this movie is. Uh, Like it it really is. Because I've heard this movie for years. I've heard like this movie was infamously bad. It was Mm -hmm. produced by, by DEG, uh, De Laurentiis Entertainment Group when he, uh, more or less made a company that only did like smaller productions you know they produced blue velvet they produced manhunter uh but this was their most expensive production it pretty much bankrupt them it made like four million in the states compared to however much the original or the, the 1976 one made which was a lot like i've heard for years how terrible this movie is like just and i watched it it's like yeah it is but like you, you can't even put it into words how weird I was legitimately intrigued by like most of it, like because the choices are so odd, like that that they you know they sort of stare like just injected the original concept of a misunderstood ape with steroids and made it like so introspective. And there are there are strange emotional beats where um, the the military they're um, taking um, the female ape back into captivity and while they're getting her they're like oh you have to distract kong so they're blasting him with rockets and shooting at him and he's freaking out and he jumps off like to avoid getting shot jumps off a cliff 
into a rushing river, which is what, what my <laughs> yes. comparison to the fugitive is. Yes. I, I could see Tommy Lee Jones in my in my brain going, I don't care. Like he jumps <laughs> into the river and is like floating away while they're shooting at him. And there's a, a shot that I think is supposed to be like a, oh no, audience reaction. But I busted up laughing when he f- comes in from frame left and slams his head into a rock. Yeah. And he's, he's just like stiff, like, and like rolls <laughs> off of it. And that happens and everyone collectively just goes, oh, okay, he's dead. And like, I think military guy even has a line that's like, not even your Kong could survive that. Yeah. And so then he floats off some period of time passes like a number of weeks and they won't let linda hamilton uh, or the the poacher who i want to get back to because his character pisses me off um mm-hmm. they are not allowed to see um the female kong and they don't know why and then they finally are able to like bust their way into the storage uh, facility get to female kong and linda hamilton mm-hmm. and uh, female kong share a uh, look and again like like princess leia in the end of empire is just like kong is alive uh she she can feel it and i can feel it too and it's just like again where are you fucking pulling this information out from the ether like there's been no indication that he's alive but you shared a look with a a giant primate and you go oh i can i can feel him the force is strong in this one it's so strange and then i mean speaking of linda hamilton and the poacher i mean we gotta like you said we gotta get back to that because that relationship is super weird because it's like it's like the quickest like stockholm syndrome the relationship that i could think of because it's like she's along with him begrudgingly because he knows the path you know like he knows the way through the island and it's like then they find the 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 kongs and and then it's like who are all like horned up and mm-hmm. then like they decide to get like horned up and it's like well okay like they but she even has it. a line like we're like we're we're mammals or something like yeah. that like yeah. before they, which yes. is like oh that's some nice <laughs> pillow talk it's is like that, is it, did the bloodhound gang rip off uh <laughs> king kong lives i hope so <laughs> but like uh his character he starts off as like he's he's introduced in the jungle as sort of a he's adventured man and he lives out here apparently because he's like oh i'm gonna go fall asleep over here in the bushes i'm gonna move this snake out of the way and he accidentally disturbs the female kong and that's how he discovers her and then like the next scene he's on the phone like you said being like oh i you know i got the university on the other line so you know if you don't give me the cash and the guys well we'll give you 10 grand He's like, oh, that doesn't exactly put rice in my bowl. So he's like trying to strong arm people to like sell off this monkey to the first person who wants it. Mm-hmm. And then he's like in the States and the people are taking pictures of it. And he's running around being like, oh, you're disturbing her. Like, leave her alone. Like he immediately, like between scenes at the beginning of the movie, no arc flips to being a, a, a bleeding heart. I love this creature. I care for this creature. I want what's best for this creature. Yeah. And he and Linda Hamilton for the rest of the movie are against the military against the scientists like you guys are mistreating the monkey and it's like you should have just left it on the fucking island bud like yeah <laughs> if you actually just, cared about the creature's well-being you captured it and you sold it into captivity you are the dick here yeah you can't be the both both the uh the, the john voight and anaconda and the and the jennifer lopez like you can't be both right yeah i don't know why that's my point of reference but that's just where we're at i guess <laughs> yeah I, I just, wow, first to anaconda i think there's <laughs> <laughs> this movie is more a lot more about you than it does about the movie <laughs> this movie is more entertaining than anaconda uh, oh, i'll great. give it i'll give it that um 
but yeah it's it's this movie like like i said i i had heard that this movie was was bad and and in doing the research yes but it's just it, it's bad for the weirdest weirdest reasons uh the only thing i was gonna say to put a cap on king kong lives is i guess speaking of made by gunpoint uh the finale of king kong lives oh my uh, god is uh you know what i almost don't even want to give it away for people if, if you can seek out the movie i it's recommend hard to find. It. i it's wouldn't hard mind to getting find. getting into it like and just sort of explaining it and putting a cap on it because it is I, ex, explain it okay it's, it's, it is so mama kong well yeah mama kong and and dad king kong so they end up uh as they're being chased by the military and the rednecks and anybody with a loaded gun um, they find themselves in an abandoned barn where the Mama Kong is giving birth to, to Son of Kong. Um, you know, again, this movie should have been called King Kong Fucks. It's exactly what they do. Um, and then more or less, again, with the humanizing quality, King Kong comes out for like to, to stand off against, like, I mean, not stand off. Like he doesn't show that he's going to, he, he shows that he will attack them if he has to, but he doesn't want to. Like he's walking right. out basically to protect his his love and his unborn or his about to be born <laughs> child. Right. Um and they just start they just unload. They just unload. Yeah, you just there's a ton of gore in this movie. It's bizarre. Like, I mean, there's there's definitely some at the end of the 76 one. Yeah. But this the, but this one's like, I mean, this is like it's like this entire Ed front is is like hamburger. Yeah, it's like Ed 209 and Robocop. Like yeah. just the one guy just getting just fucking <laughs> torn to shreds. It's and that's the well, end of King intercut, Kong lives. <laughs> it's intercut with like they they shoot and we'll probably but they intercut with just him being shot to shit and being all bloody and having his final showdown with the the psychopathic military leader. Um, they're like intercutting with showing uh, Mama Kong giving birth and shooting it like you would a, a, a like a human character giving birth again, like just sort of this juxtaposition of like treating the ape characters in the movie as if they are human characters. Um, not having like a, a subtle like comparison of like oh look at their mannerisms are similar to us they're shot like leading a leading lady and a leading man and there, there's like a, a overhead shot of her face and there she's like which is like in a movie where a woman is giving birth she's screaming and grunting and straining and they're doing it with a monkey which just I don't know it came off weird to me which is like this <laughs> this monkey mask going in a close up but then like yeah she gives birth. Linda Hamilton and uh, what's Dick, they show up and they are a uh, really terrible blue screen, like composite shot of them in front of like this destruction looking on. Uh, and his line is like <laughs> bleeding out King Kong, like crawls over to Mama Kong and the guys like, sh like show him his son and, and Mama Kong like lifts her hand and there's like, I've seen like baby monkeys and stuff. They're like baby humans. They're pretty much useless and and like you know kicking around and screaming and whatnot. This is straight up just a gorilla who's like full hair, just sitting there, just chilling. Like, oh, hey, what up? And he like he like walks over to where Godzilla is, and he like he has like a slow like shaky hand, blood coming out of his nose because he's like like fading fast, and he like reaches for his son. And then his hand collapses, and then the baby monkey is like crying against the hand of his dead father who just passed away in front of him. 
and Linda Hamilton and the dude just sort of like look at each other and turn around and walk off into the really poor like composited background and it's like the the tone is all over the fucking place because I'm just like this is supposed to be a monster movie and this is like like Shiloh it's like trying to it's like <laughs> it reminded me of, of uh, um, Harry and the Hendersons where like it, it's it's trying to humanize it so much that it just became weird where the human characters like may as well not even be there Harry that what a that's a movie I've not thought of in a very long time but I'm almost constantly thinking of Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons, Kong gunned down multiple, multiple times. You make the connection in your head. You know, yeah, there's a there's a straight, you know, A to B there. Well, I was gonna try and segue into the next movie because I the when we're discussing these, we're talking about like he, they took Kong and misused him as a character in both scenarios and both of them going the in the opposite directions. And then, you know, Peter Jackson, we have been able to see what he's been able to do with his career, uh, you know, outside of the Hobbit movies, uh, which those are another one that feel like it was made at gunpoint and, and under duress. Like it, it doesn't have a lot of his charm or his hallmark. It doesn't seem like he really cared about those movies. Those feel very uh, studio heavy movies. And that relates to his, um, his 2005 remake of the original King Kong is that he understood what made the original King Kong great so he more or less doesn't change those elements. He, he makes the spectacle a bit bigger. He's got, you know, the Lord of the Rings uh, movies under his belt. Um, he's got that experience. He's able to make this uh, a lot, you know, bigger um, and in some regards better. But then he injects something else into the story. Like, because uh, it's there in the original as well of... Um, uh, this sort of like, hey, I'm a movie producer. You can trust me. We're going to go do this thing. And then ultimately they're abusing the actress and putting her into a dangerous scenario in order to try and make this movie that they're making. And then Jackson, because of his very clear disdain for the studio system and making movies in the studio system, he makes an entire side plot feature length film about how terrible the studio system is and then stacks a King Kong movie on top of it. And it's fascinating. It's great, really. I, I really, really enjoyed this on a first time watch. You've seen this, you know, at least twice. You've seen this multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, is your take pretty much on, uh, like, in, in line with what I was thinking on, upon a first watch? More or less, yeah. I mean, I, I would say I didn't pick up on it. Um, on that subtext, I probably didn't pick up on it in 2005 when I saw the movie, but certainly uh, upon rewatching it, uh, you know, a few times, it's definitely evident, um, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. I mean, it's fascinating in and of itself, given that, um, that, yeah, he goes out of his way to have an entire subplot where, uh, where the film or Carl Denham played by Jack Black in this movie is uh you know basically being told it's like oh this isn't your movie anymore and we'll just sell it for stock footage and like we don't give a crap like whatever to to take that and show within the movie the disdain of working in that system when this movie came out was unadjusted for inflation the most expensive movie ever made <laughs> so yeah. the fact means that he like took 207 million dollars and made a movie uh underneath a reimagining of a very like popular uh, character uh, to basically being like, 
I hate having to make movies in this environment. And I'm going to show you why with all the money in the world to be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's bonkers. Like how, how ballsy. Cause it's universal, right? Like yeah. they're a big studio and just to be like, Hey, you know, universal, I'll make your King Kong movie, but I'm also going to make a fuck you universal movie at the same time. <laughs> like that is ballsy. And the, the movie is, as far as I understand was successful. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, it's not like, it's not like he took it and then like tanked it. He very, uh, succinctly and adeptly because he's a he's a very good filmmaker told the story that he needed to tell um and then like you said like uh, upon a first watch i mean yeah if i would have watched this back in 2005 i definitely wouldn't have picked up on it either it would have i would have just been there for the king kong show um mm -hmm. but like it's definitely there and it's there in the 1933 original as well i mean it's not as overt the 1933 original doesn't really get into the motivations of the filmmaker the filmmaker is like hey i want to make a movie i'm going to do it under dangerous circumstances but he's sort of introduced in the movie not not really heroically like like heroically in, in one sense or, or another but he's very much like hey nobody believes in this picture but i'm gonna make it i'm gonna make it under these strange circumstances i need to go find a leading lady here's a woman who's starving and willing to steal for food i'm gonna give her the lead role in this movie because that's who i i need for this and they take off and, and there's nothing really too skeevy going on. And what Jackson does is he like takes that portion of it and extrapolates it and makes it a bit more fleshed out, which is, mm -hmm. I mean, he could have just easily made a one-to-one -one remake of the movie. And if this were to get cut down to that, I, I think it would still be a successful movie. It's still got its set pieces. It's got, you know, a definite, the, the portions with the monsters and whatnot work. But I was much more fascinated by having this character now introduced as like the studio is going to take my movie away from me so i'm going to steal the film and i'm going to run away and then i need to go find um anybody who will be in my movie so i'm immediately going to target people who are poor people who are living in a bad part of town people that i know i can easily take advantage of because i'm you know i'm a film producer so i'm going to come out of the woodwork and i'm going to offer you the deal of a lifetime you know I, i'm gonna make you an offer you can't refuse kind of thing using your power as a film producer he even said to me he wants at one point uh, trust me i'm a film producer yeah which this is just, the exact words yeah <laughs> so cynical like when he says it that it, of course it cracked me up but it's great how they sort of dole these parts out to give you a completely different perspective of the filmmaking portion of King Kong that was always there and, and just the, the making, a, making a show and being a showman and how it's, it's presented as a very cynical, uh, very negative thing in this movie uh, and more or less becomes a bigger monster than what King Kong is. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I think that's what I, one aspect I love about this movie is like it gets to the, um, it gets the cynicism of it and it also kind of gets the sorrow as well like because mm -hmm. there really is like a pursuit of happiness sort of quality for the th like the three characters like even though you have someone as cynical as as jack black's character as carl denham uh but then you have someone who's like as genuinely hopeful as as andaro played by naomi watts in this movie um mm -hmm. it, it's almost like the it's like the um I, I, like Jackson had to have watched Mulholland Drive and made his casting choice here because it's like, well, because it's like, you know, Mulholland Drive, I mean, I guess I know we're not talking about the movie. So spoilers for Mulholland Drive where like it takes the flip and it's like, okay, we've been watching the ass, like the sort of dream aspect of where when she comes to Hollywood, all like 
rose-tinted glasses and it's like i'm gonna make it and then it flips on its head and it's like oh no it's been a dream and she's a failed actress and she's jaded and she's cynical this movie leans heavily into like that aspect of you know character from the first part of maholland drive like mm-hmm. and the fact that but it's played in complete earnest like there there is there is a like old Hollywood love to this movie. But then it's like, you know, but of course it takes place in the Great Depression. So it's like theaters are, you know, theaters are shuttered. She's a vaudeville performer. That theater shuts down. Carl Denham's, you know, trying to hit it big as a, uh, you know, but he's basically doing like industrial films essentially, but he's trying to make narratives and they're like, we didn't, we don't want that. We just want, that's what they're saying. We don't want industrial movies, make industrial movies, but he's trying to capture like, so there's this, this lingering sense of sadness to the movie underneath a sense of cynicism, which I think also lends itself so well to the Anne and King Kong relationship when that comes into play in the movie, um, because that aspect as well is like heavily fleshed out from the original uh, as well. And, and, and the most, um, you know, it's, it's a little flawed given the, the time, but like, of course, again, most expensive movie made at the time, had all the tools, like Kong gets the most articulation that he's ever had in mm-hmm. a movie. Uh, Andy Serkis is the one who does the motion capture for Kong. Um, you know, you see that like the sorrow in his eyes, but and mm-hmm. then you see the like, um, and like that sense of understanding. I think like my favorite scene in the movie is like when they're, after they've gone through a lot of hell through Skull Island and it's just Kong and Anne, she's like doing her vaudeville routine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he like mimics her doing that. And um, there's just a lot of like great moments like that, that like, yeah. uh, you know, but then of course, then there's almost like, the first the middle section of the movie also like kind of mimics the cynicism as well because it just puts all those characters through like almost like gleeful hell like it yeah. it feels like it almost feels like you know dead alive peter jackson like came to life <laughs> for for the, that middle section of the movie because there's such a glee in like the little like slug monsters um he even shoots the like like the natives which is like maybe the only like problematic thing for me in the movie just because mm-hmm. one aspect i've always read about like i've read in a king kong is like the the dangers and the the horribleness of like of slavery and white colonialism mm-hmm. like we're going to this island and we're bringing something back right you just left it just displaying there. it and in, in displaying it exactly from, yeah, like, yeah so yeah, like there's there's that allegory has always been there so shoot the natives like he does dead alive where it's like really it's like, like in intense. slow motion and yeah uh, yeah yeah like it or really like the, lingers on it yeah or like the or even like the orcs in um in lord of the yeah. rings when they're like snarling and going after like especially in like the two towers they're going after the wall like it reminded me of that i was like mm, that's a little weird to shoot this this way if you're going yeah. with the uh the allegory but like that's it for me like other than that i'm like i think that it's it's incredibly strong and the but yeah, I just the, the sheer glee, like almost like childlike glee that Jackson takes in putting these characters through like horrible, horrible real situations. Hell. It's yeah. real bad. <laughs> uh, Skull Island in this movie is is Sucks. terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like they the there's giant monsters and whatnot, and some of the charm of the old one is like the stop motion Stegosaurus, and they right. are like shooting it and stuff. And and uh, there's definitely things on the island that are dangerous to people, and this one like takes it and just kind of you know, really, really elevates it. 
Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, because you mentioned Naomi Watts's, uh, like her vaudeville performance, mm -hmm. is that's something that they didn't go into in, in the original as well, is the um, Anne the, as a character is more or less just stealing an apple. And as happenstance, he picks her up and makes her an actor from, she's not an actor though. And in this one, he has to pitch her a role because she is an actor, but it's also, there's that cynicism of, uh, they showing them finish their show. They have an audience of people that are like, there's barely anybody in there. And they're mm -hmm. like, they, they don't really give a shit, but they are backstage and there's this camaraderie and they're, they're like a familial thing. And, and her going with the older gentleman, like, Hey, let's go get some food or whatever. They, they, they really love each other and they love the craft and, and, you know, the, what they're doing, what they're producing and their theater gets shut down and then cut to uh, sell uh, whatever he's shot so far as just, uh, you know, stock footage and we'll make millions of dollars off of the stock footage. And it's just like, they don't give a shit about their product and they're making a ton of money and they're fat cats and they're doing fine. Whereas these people are putting their heart and soul into this. No one gives a shit and they're destitute. Yeah. So like that, that keeps going on through the movie and Jack Black, um, every time somebody dies while they're making the movie, he's like, We'll, we'll sell it uh, and give all the proceeds to their wife yeah. and family. And that yeah. happens like three or four times. Yeah. So he has that line of, yeah. he, he believed in this movie and he died for it. And yeah, it starts no. when, they, when they first get back on the boat. And then, yeah, yeah. it just keeps going. As, yeah. as they like, lose no, people. he doesn't care. It's like, he'd, he'd be pissed off like the, the fact that he died on this island. And like Adrian Brody is the writer of the movie, which is yeah. another angle they didn't have included in the first one. So like there's, uh, this dynamic between the heroic uh, uh, lead of the movie, sort of a John Wayne type guy, um, played by, uh, I'm, I'm missing it now, Kyle Chandler, uh, who yeah, plays yeah. Bruce Baxter, who's, he, he looks like uh, what you'd see on like the, the pulpy uh, like novels and stuff back in, in the, the times of the 1930s and whatnot, but he's completely a coward. Um, mm -hmm. He just, that's his on-screen persona. Uh, so they, they this sort of this, this a peek behind the curtain in filmmaking that isn't there in the original that I love. Uh, and then of course, this is just getting me back up to the point where Pong and his representation, he's never looked better. I, I mean, like, yeah. I know it's like CGI and it's 2005 CGI, but it's fantastic. And Circus's performance is, is great. And like you said, I love that vaudeville uh, moment where she's performing and she's doing the same play that she was doing earlier on in the movie at that small time mm -hmm. theater that got shut down and he starts knocking her over like her falling over yeah. makes him laugh yeah. and it and it's it's not only just a sort of uh double speak of you know uh dance monkey dance is you have a monkey literally laughing at him making fun of this woman who's doing this show that she used to then care about but like that's what she feels like in that moment is like she's dancing for her life because yeah. this thing could flip on her and kill her. So like she she was dancing for food before. Now the threat is much more real, much more in her face and, and dangerous. But then she takes this opportunity there when he goes to knock her over. She like puts her foot down and says like, no, like that's not what we're going to do. And Kong backs down. And from that moment on throughout the rest of the movie, there's a, a mutual respect and there's a flip in her character and the way that she's treated by other people in the movie and how she treats other people in the movie that is really interesting that they that they completely empowered naomi watts's character in this movie in a way that was not done in the original at all yeah it really takes the distress out of it uh like yes. of the damsel in distress like she, she does not that character from that point on she's not and it's, all of boyle 
no and it, and it's a it's a it's a, yeah exactly and it's a it's an awesome subversion <laughs> and it continues throughout the movie i mean because she doesn't you know we i love the the you know the reveal later when we get into like the last third of the movie because really this movie mm-hmm. is broken up into very clear like i mean not just three act structure but like i mean mm-hmm. this really is a, a series of hours it's like first hour build up second hour nastiness on skull island and then the third hour back in in new york city back mm-hmm. in times square um but i love the reveal uh when carl venom's do like has the unveiling of kong and like the full auditorium and you know they have and co- like Anne come in or it's the shot sorry i'm setting up poorly where it's like she's backstage and yeah. like she's like getting ready in to go full on makeup, st- in full makeup she's yeah looking she's go- off sort of forlorn you think yeah. that she's doesn't really want to be there but exactly yeah, and then and then yeah and then they cut and then we go back and it goes through the show and then they're like you know the one the one person who was able to like tame kong and daro and she comes out and then it's it's an act actress it's not naomi watts it's some mm-hmm. other actress in the stage show and it cut to that she's working in a different theater um and it's like and i i loved that aspect of the movie and it's similarly too where um adrian brody as the writer is watching a play like in the audience watching the play that he wrote mm-hmm. that there's an element of almost kind of like going to lord of the rings a little bit too you know speaking of jackson like the end of the return of the king when all the hobbits are sitting around and like they're in yeah. the shire and everything goes on life is going on as normal uh but like uh frodo and sam and they're sitting there like we're never going to be the same because we've gone through this entire right, yeah. adventure. Things will never be uh, the same they were. Yeah. yeah. And then they, he kind of like mirrors that, especially with uh, Adrian Brody and uh, Naomi Watts in this movie, where it's just like, okay, we've gone through this thing and we'll never be the same. And it's like, she was offered, she was offered a ton of money. Like she, here is this poor struggling actress. who was offered a ton of money to do that. And she wouldn't do it because it wasn't the right thing to do uh, right. because it's, it's blood money, so to speak. Right. Yeah. She's like yeah. sticking to, you know, her, her morals. She's like, yeah. this is a line that I'm not going to cross, which is something that I, I loved that choice of like, we're not going to have Anne come out like downtrodden, but like really needs the money. Like she's a changed person ever since leaving Skull Islands. Like yeah. she, her and Kong in this movie, much more than in the original are uh, kindred spirits. There's an understanding that's there. And mm-hmm. even when the, when they have the actress come up, through the stage with her arms up in in ropes which i i love that that imagery in this one was much more overt in the first one i mean of course uh when they put Anne out there uh in the original with her hands up in ropes and then of course there's imagery later of kong with his arms up and they're basically in the exact same pose they're both being displayed they're a, a sacrifice for different reasons of course but they're they're being sacrificed for the good of, of some other group of people but when that actress comes up to the stage uh kong is like he looks down and sees the top of a blonde woman and he yeah. thinks that it might be Anne for a moment and then when she looks up you can see he like recoils and he's like that's not Anne." so he's not like a mindless animal that's just here for for some reason he's just like oh, that's not that's not who like i i guess love really like there's love between kong and Anne in this movie and, yeah. he's, and he's pissed off he like breaks his chains and shit like that because he's like and just the sequence of him busting out into times square uh, which looks great. I yep. love the set in Times Square in the 1930s and the snow, like it, it adds so much to it. But him running back and forth through the square, chasing down blonde women, picking them up and being like, okay, nope, you're not Anne. Uh, I'm going to run over here and nope, okay, you're not Anne. And like there's, there, it's so much more, it's less random chaos. 
as it is like he has a purpose here he's trying yeah. to he's trying to get back to his lost love and it's again it's another thing that sort of adds a layer to the character exactly and i think that's that's you know the the sort of overall thesis that we've been painting with all these movies that we discussed on this episode in particular shows that even within and what i want why i wanted to talk about this one specifically is because even within the limited framework of what you could do with the king kong story peter jackson finds different unique ways to be able to tell that same story um and really is the first one i think to get it right since yeah. 1933 um you know because he just like you said he he understands that movie while most you know like we've been talking about builds upon it like actually adds mm-hmm. like different textures different layers and you know of course that was a technical marvel at the time this was a technical marvel at the time um hardly been done like you've said perfectly some of that stuff really holds up like a lot of the mm-hmm. kong stuff the only scene i thought looked that looked bad and even then i wouldn't say chase what the brontosaurus chase oh yeah that okay sorry there's two then um that one looks bad and uh and you can get away with it because of the intensity of the scene the the breaking of the chain sequence that you're referring to mm-hmm. when he's running up the seats it looks a little Little yeah, off. it's a little uh, wonky. A little wonky, yeah. but once he busts out into Times Square and that sequence where he's picking up blonde women that you're referring to, that's great. That's all great. great. The, the the train scene, is great yeah, too. The train's great. The the um the sequence when he finally does find and and they're like uh, the ice skating uh mm-hmm. area like that's that's great. Like all of that is fantastic. And you know even the painstaking uh you know of course the finale the recreation the the Empire State Building and you have the period appropriate planes yeah. coming through like dive just, bomb anatomy stuff yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and it's, him just grabbing grabbing one by the by the wing and just flipping around and hucking it into another plane like they they appropriately modernized many of those pieces because he could have you know I, I the the sense of scale and everything is still great there i love like uh, up until the bitter end kong is still doing everything in his power to protect and like when she's going up to try and save him and the, the ladder gives way and yeah. he is able to drop down and, and, and grab her right before she falls to her death and stuff like he's more than any time before in any of these movies, he's a straight up hero. He has a hero arc and he like yeah. dies protecting the girl, uh, it, which is, is not how it's presented in the first movie. And I think it, it's sort of, um, I don't want to say that it's, it's better in that regard than the original, but if you're going to take a classic, a, like an absolute, you know, hands down classic movie and remake it in any way whatsoever, this is 100% the, the way to do it, where the characterization yeah. is, is echoing and it's paying tribute to the original and anything that you change to it is so in line and it's such a natural progression of like, of course that would be within Kong's character to do that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's perfect in this execution. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I couldn't, I don't think I could wrap it up, uh, wrap that any better. Um, and I, I feel like we might be at a good spot here to, to kind sure. of put a bow on it. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts on, on any of the, the movies we discussed? Um, I, I think I would say I'm looking forward to Godzilla versus Kong because just from what we've talked about here, we've talked about how the characters being so different in in the way that they're approached and the way that they're treated and really the way that they need to be treated in order to be successful i'm curious to see i have pretty mixed feelings about the the uh godzilla movies that have come out so far and admittedly i haven't seen kong skull island but that will be something that will be on my watch list before 
we watch uh, the, the newest one so that I can have that context to see how he was treated in that movie. But uh, the, if the most successful way that you're going to modernize King Kong is done by Peter Jackson, I don't think that they're going to be able to do that effectively in a movie where they're both sharing the screen and I would say they haven't effectively done Godzilla uh, that great um, in, in, in these movies. They, they, there hasn't been an equivalent um, Peter Jackson King, uh, sorry, Peter Jackson um, Godzilla remake. There, there no. hasn't been a re reimagining of that character that's come anywhere near that level of, of respect and, and just technical quality. So yeah. hopeful for it, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming it, it's probably, it might just be a, a discussion of a bad movie. Uh, well, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm hopeful, and uh, <laughs> I'm hopeful, you know, and but... I know you'll you'll check out Kong Skull Island. Uh, yes. I was warmer on that movie upon rewatching it. Um, I, I think okay. there's a lot of. I, I think it's at least you do something. At least they did something completely different that they've never really done in a King Kong movie, and I respect that entirely. Right. Yeah. What I'll, I think what'll be interested most about it is you know because both movies so far have set them up to be. The hero in sort of respects you know like they've done that with godzilla that he's this like uh benevolent force of nature he's a protector in this one. yeah yeah exactly so i'll be really curious how they kind of flip that to make one of them i guess more villainous i don't know mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see yeah. um but cool yeah we'll find that out next week as we dive into <laughs> our first minisode for godzilla versus kong um, but in the meantime, you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thegoodbadwhat. You can email us at thegoodthebadthewhat at gmail.com if you have any questions or you just want to say hello. Uh, if you're feeling generous and you want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of running movies that we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos and our music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you could find in the show notes respectively. Chris, where can people find you online specifically? Uh, yeah, if you're so inclined to read my empty wall on Twitter, you can go to thochristo89. And you could follow me at ryolli90. That's R-Y-O-L-I-E 90. And that's pretty much my handle across Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. You can find me there. Um, we'll stay tuned next for our episode of Godzilla vs. Kong next week. Looking forward to it. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Smooches. Smooches.